All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars for a year and a half now, and Sharon and Laura Wilsey are joining me today for number... 13? 13. Yeah, I lost count. Uh, it was 12 or 13, yeah. Okay, I was, okay. yeah, you guys probably... We've done one almost every month. Um, they have created what's known as horse speak, and of course, I have created Surefoot. And so together, we like to get together and talk about how they blend so beautifully. So welcome, Laura and Sharon. Thanks so much for joining me yet again. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks having for having us. us. Let's see. Yeah. Horses, so, speak with, horses speak with sure feet. Horses Ooh. speak with sure feet. I like that. <laughs> no. Which is actually true. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very so um, why don't you just give a brief overview of, of what horse speak is? I know everybody watching today knows what horse speak is, but in case when this is put up on YouTube, they don't. Uh, just give us kind of a overview. Synopsis. Okay. Basically, um, horse speak was um, something that I put time into researching to understand the the precision micro movements that horses make when they're communicating with each other. So for a long time, um, we've been, you know, everybody knows like horses use body language to talk, right? We all know that. We all know that we use body language to talk as well. And because of a lot of the work that I was doing, the specialized work I was doing, I was diving deeper and deeper into both of those sets of nuances. And in a, I arrived at a point where I was making more um, I was making discoveries that were giving me more questions to ask that was making more discoveries. And I, eventually I just needed to take time off from, from all my work and just dive headlong into what are these micro movements that horses are making and how can we adaptively utilize the same basic micro movements to basically communicate one-to-one, -one, like a little bit Dr. Doolittle with the horses. And, um, one of my jobs was working at a rescue. So that was really uh, powerful stuff because what would have previously taken, you know, you look at a, a rescue horse and you come in with their laundry list of problems and you're like, oh, this is gonna be three months at least to get to here. Or this, this horse might need a total year before we get to like this point. And because what we tried to do is create, um, you, know, you know, create a strategy for how we're gonna help this horse get to a better place so they can get rehomed because that's the goal. And with the discoveries I was making, I was having breakthroughs in like a day or a week. You know, it was just incredible, the turnaround. And the only difference was that I was able to use very precise postures, gestures, and signals to communicate some of the keynote messages that horses are looking for from an elder, a mentor, you know, or a true horse leader that is also able to stabilize and calm the herd. So when I, first of all, could identify what the messages were. Second of all, identify the core values that horses have that lead to those messages. And then be able to emulate them using my body language, which I have hands and I don't have a long neck and there's a lot of distinctions, but I was able to um, come up with a close enough approximation that even the Mustangs, like the three strike Mustangs that were coming back could recognize this within minutes of me doing something. So because of that, it was, it just became really effective, which made me want to streamline it more. And, and I spent about four years um, 
just teaching. Anyone who would listen, I, I did clinics, I did webinars, not webinars, I did clinics, I did workshops. I did a lot of volunteer training for different um, rescues and for therapeutic riding centers. I developed a, um, a pilot program for a woman who had a, her PhD in research psychology. And she was going down the path of creating a new, a new foundational um, horse therapy, horse psychotherapy. And she was working on that. And um, then there was some bumps in the road for her. So we didn't complete the project, but it was fascinating stuff. So I got to work with local psychiatric hospitals and um, integrating both sets of body language. So it's one, it's one core body language, but there's the way the horses do it and there's the way we do it. And one of the coolest things is that once you start to see how horses are communicating, it becomes, it, it becomes totally clear. I had a woman this weekend in Seattle who <laughs> she kind of shouted out in the middle of like it was a four day intensive. And like on day three, she goes, I hear them in my head. <laughs> I'm seeing it. I but hear I'm, voices translating. And oh my God, they never shut up. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. kind of what starts to happen. And actually we had a gal who was just an auditor, not to think just, but she was not participating hands-on, but just being in the audience, she went home to her mule that she's had for about five years, very, very hesitant mule. And she did three things that she learned from the clinic. And the mule came over and greeted her, walked away, and the gal just did a couple more things and hung out there. And the mule came back to greet her um, with put it, her head on her chest. Yeah. And then the next day had even a bigger breakthrough even, yeah, with yawning her. and standing yeah. and leaning in and go here, go there. And she, you know, five years she's been trying. It's very well. And you know, I, if you've worked with mules, and donkeys, they have, a, there's not a three strike rule. It's a one strike rule. Yeah. You screw up once and that's it. And so this meal is just incredibly sensitive. And as soon as she was able to open up this communication, the meal was like, ah, well, now I can hang out with you. Wow. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. It we had um, somebody recently come on and uh, Megan Hensley, who is the donkey farrier and, um, she talked about donkeys and mules and, and how different they are. Mm -hmm. um, it's, re it's really, really fun. But, you know, they still have a hoof, so surefoot still works, and they still have the equid, right? They're still an equid, so the body language still works. It doesn't matter that it's a donkey or a mule or a horse. Right. Um, there's still that communication that is universal to that species. I don't know yes. about zebras. Yes, yes. You yes. just went to a zoo where there was two zebras and we were doing like stealth bomb horse speak when no one was looking. <laughs> Next, so, we're actually going again on Sunday yeah. and we, I am going to film well, incognito. And, and we're going to try. We'll try to like, blow, yeah. you know, but um, yeah, they totally, they it blew their mind. They were like, what are One you One of them was like doing? staring at us, like ears straight on, like what? And then they, we invited them to come over and they took two steps and then they were like, you're taking over my body. What are you doing to my mind? Yeah, it was really cool. Absolutely. Wow. It was a really neat experience. They were most certainly responding to the little requests that we had and offers of just like, we can be friends. Really? And uh, 
yeah, they were blown away. They were like, no one's ever done that before. I think to me, when I'm speaking donkey or mule, it's got a di- definitely a different flavor. It's, it's like the slower. same stuff, but it's slower and much more purposeful. Like ev- like with horses, we were, we were calling it over the weekend, we are calling it the, the mighty one thing. Like you do one thing and really let them soak on one simple thing so they can totally come up with an answer um, because when they do that, then they go, okay. And if it wasn't what you thought you asked or you, what you thought you said, then you're like, oh, I, I need to adjust. So that was amazing because we got really far with a lot of people and horses by just doing the one mighty thing. But that comes of course from working with donkeys and mules who are like, you only have one mighty thing. And if I don't like it, I'm leaving. <laughs> so with the zebras, it's a bit, it's like that. They're, they're like, Okay, you got my interest, but you got about 30 seconds to keep that interest. And then when you get past that, they go, all right, I'm curious. You perk my because you know how they're um, especially donkeys are they're mountain, they're mountainous, they grew up on mountains, and so they are more likely to stand and stare and sort something out, and then if need be, like attack it rather than run away from it. Mm-hmm. So, which is just so different from horses who are like, I don't even need to know what it is. I'm just going to get out of here. And I think that zebras have a little bit of that, even though they're a plains animal, they have a little bit of a, like, let me sort this out. So if I don't have to run, I'd rather not. Right. So, they're very conservative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it was fun. Yeah. It's definitely fun. Wow. But yeah, you have no pictures of this, do you? No, no we'll try to, at least it did actually happen. Yes, we'll take pictures. Yeah, time. you know, I, I'm i sure that you find this too, that so often the magic moments are not when the camera is available. Yeah, like, we, we do have, so, we I, do have a, uh, a student of ours in England who, gets, who was talking to zebras. I her think friend, we showed that. Her friend time. owns a zoo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she did. And so yeah. she, the, the zebras were in because one of them had an injury and they were in a smaller pen, which normally they wouldn't be. And so she had permission to stand outside the pen and do horse speak. And they were like mesmerized. And and the one zebra was like, I hate you because you're mesmerizing me. (laughs) So what other species have you worked with? Uh, A lot of horned animals, both wild and domestic. So goats, sheep, cows, but also like uh, kudu and wild goats, mountain sheep. Um, What's that one um, at the Pennsylvania Zoo we went to? Pennsylvania Zoo what the heck was it? No, it was Wallaby. A, well, Wallabies, yeah, we talked to Wallabies. That they were totally fun. down with it. Yep. Um, and you talked to that big bison. Oh, no. yeah, bison. Yeah. Um, camels. Yeah, so it's pretty, I think, among the herbivorous, you know, four-footed creatures, not just ungulates, but because, you know, there's, horn, there's animals with horns and without, and that's a little different. But any, the wild fell deer, they were like... Um, well, the fallow, the fallow deer, you know, they always have to feed the deer at the zoos. They were totally down with it, but then that's not what people usually do with them. Mm-hmm. So they would go along for a few minutes and then look you right in the eye and be like, you weird and leave. <laughs> 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 but um, wild deer, I've talked to a lot of wild white-tailed deer and they all get very, very close. And like the curiosity gets the best of them and they just get so close. Um, raccoons, coyote, fox, um, sea lions, two wild cats. Right. Yeah. 
two feral cats that came over. So I, there's an interesting, you know, I hope to finally get there someday of just animal speak where there's a, there's a baseline that I've been able to suss out that seems to be kind of universal. It has a lot to do with um, whether you're facing direct or indirect, what kind of indirect you're doing, what kind of head bobbing or head nodding you do, uh, the kind of eye blinking you do, the kind of lip smacking that you do and at the moment that you lip smack and whether you step in or step away or step into yourself. And the breathing. And the breathing. So those are the keynote features of how uh, the mammals that I've talked to have responded. I, ha I tried some of it with like lions and tigers and they just kind of look at you like, nah. Maybe I would do this if I was moving. Even, yeah. if they, even if they got it, that doesn't mean they're going to respond to you. Exactly. Kidding? <laughs> they're like, nah. nah. They're definitely more about the eye blinking and the lip smacking. Yeah. Eye blinking and lip smacking is big for cats. Yeah. They're really down with, um, so it's like this. It's like blink, 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 lift your chin with a little wiggle and then go num, 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 and then turn away. And all that collectively, Blink, 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 I won't stare. Because if I'm staring, that's hunting. It's hunting, or we're in competition with each other. Lifting my chin is exposing my throat, but also showing my scent gland. Would you like to come be part of my scent gland? Would you like to be a meow meow with me? Would you like to be a meow meow with me? <laughs> and then smack, smack, smack your lips, because if you're if you're if your jaw's tight, you're defensive or offensive, you could be biting. So when you release your job, I won't bite you. I did this with a raccoon that we had caught and I have a heart because he killed half our chickens. So we were just going to relocate him. Um, but he was, you know, panicking. He was a big raccoon. Yes. And we we're like, it's hard to even get to the cage. So I did all this with him. And when I got to this num, num, num with him, he sat down. He, he mimicked everything I did. And when I went num, 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 he sat back and he looked at me and he did this. Wow. I took way out and left it there. And then I turned my head aside and went, <sighs> and he turned his head aside and went, <sighs> and then I was like, okay. And we were able to approach, put a tarp over the cage. He never moved again. So it was pretty, pretty cool. Because mm -hmm. he was in a really high stress. Sure, day. sure. Because so he, he got himself him. all in a tizzy. Yeah. And then we let him out into a nice place where there's a lot of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really good for raccoons, right? Garbage is like a high, high on the price. Well, it's a, behind a restaurant. Yeah, it was behind. So. They have a um, food pit down the road from one of the restaurants they used to work at, and I knew where it is. And there's so. a river, and yeah. it was a good, it was a good setup. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. be happy there. Sorry yeah. about your chickens, though. Yeah, we lost a lot of yeah. chickens, and they're of course, you know, they're our pets. So. Your favorite chicken? Yeah, he got yeah. my favorite little French hen. Oh, little Frenchie, she's so cute. But anyway, but it was fascinating to do that. And then the sea lion I did it with, he popped his head up and I was going down the dock and I had my morning coffee at a friend's house on um, Woods Hole. And uh, he popped his head up and he looked at me and he was gonna go to the end of the dock and sun himself. And I was going there too. So we did all these same kinds of things. And then he was like, he kept looking like, what the hell, how do you know this? And then, <laughs> And then he kind of looked around like, what are you doing? And I looked around and I looked at the end of the dock and then I looked back at him and he looked at the end of the dock, looked at me and I swear to God, he went. 
Fine. <laughs> and I was like, no. And I leaned away from it. Like, no, you can have it. I'll go back in. And he went and he dove under and just left. So he was like, fine, whatever. Have your dog. <laughs> but it was pretty cool. Like it was a long conversation. It was almost like he couldn't get enough. He was like, tell me, tell me again what you're saying. <laughs> But it's all about sharing space, respecting the bubble of personal space. I won't pop you if you don't pop me. I'm no threat to you. Um, I'm turning away, but not to flee. That's really important. Yeah. I'm turning away to share space with you, but not to run away from you. So you don't want to trigger. Um, I'm, I'm taking a step back, but into my space, not a step back away from the space, which would be, which would trigger the run. So I'm it, so I'm holding my ground, but you can have that ground. We can agree that to have a line between us, and we can also agree not to bite, and we can agree not to stare at each other, and we can release tension in the neck and head, which is what you go into when you're not sure what's going to happen. So all those things collectively, and then a big breath out, the animals just go, "Well, golly gee, <laughs> let's hang." <laughs> Wow, you know, this is so interesting. So have you been asked to speak at any uh, animal behavior conferences yet? No, that hasn't happened yet. I well, think we're going to, um, I'd like to. Not behavior, but it's a step in the right direction. We're going to um, Texas to go to Ida Hammer's um, symposium where she's working with her students and all that kind of stuff. So she was really excited to have us come and do some horse speak with them. Oh, that's in November, right? Um, actually it's Halloween weekend. Okay. I think I'm supposed to be there. Oh, oh, <laughs> super. Trying to figure out my schedule. All right. So like I get back from Africa and then I immediately go to the retired racehorse project event at Lexington. And then I go to Otterbrand and then I think I go there. I haven't told Brad oh. yet. Very oh. cool. <laughs> by the way, Brad, October, it is on my calendar. I kind of cruise past it today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I would love to do something like that. Um, there's, there are some universities using the book Horse Speak because I've met people that are like, I got this book from the class I took on animal behaviorism or whatever. And we had this one of the books we had to read. I'm like, awesome, that's really cool. But uh, it just, COVID happened and we're just, you know, blah, 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 there's so many things to do. Yeah. Yeah, tell me about it. But I think it would be really awesome at some point, I'm really hoping that <clears throat> this can, I don't know if it would be helpful for zoo managers or people who manage um, wild animals on the regular, because there's so many like easy ways to communicate, you're safe, you're okay. I'm a, you know, I, you can trust me on, but on like a very visceral level that they, like this, what was it? It was, um, it's an African, was in the antelope family, but I don't remember which kind it was. It wasn't the antelope. It was a different, it was one of the iterations. How tall? Huh? How tall? Slightly taller and kind of dull. Like three feet tall, two feet tall. Oh, oh, oh. Slightly taller than the average, than the antelope, the, the classic one with the black horns. Right. Uh, impala. It's bigger than an impala. Bigger than an impala. So kudu, um, kudu are they look like they have um, suede, yeah. suede, suede colors. Um, yeah, it might have been kudu. It might have been kudu, but they that was fun because I one of the leaders of the they were all it was a hot day. They were all just in their shelter 
chilling out and I start doing the thing. And the leader's like, what are you doing? And he walks all the way over. We go through the whole, nice to meet you. Who are you? I'm not a, I'm not a threat. I could be a friend, all that kind of stuff. Leans in, he lets me scratch him. And then he goes, all right, tail swish. And I'm like, okay, I know tail swish. And he goes, you even know the proper goodbye, do you? And then all the other kudo now, they're all watching. Like, what's he doing? And he comes like trotting back over to him. They all come out and start sniffing him. Like, what happened? He's like, Earl, this human can talk. That made me think of, I don't know what we were watching. I think it was YouTube or whatever with the gal, little girl. She was not very old, probably 10 year old girl. There's huge elephant. They're basically playing chicken with each other. This elephant's coming and she just puts up what we call in horse feet, cop stop hold hand to this elephant. And then it it takes a left hand turn and leaves. She's just like holding her ground. Yep. And then, so she has her core off. So she's not inviting the elephant in, her core is pointing away. So it's basically driving the shoulder to Around the left. By, with the core being on the edge of the circle. And then just saying, her, you cannot her, come here. It's perfect. It's perfect body language. And yes. it's a wild elephant. So you just, oh. she's like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. The elephant's like, you do. So. <laughs> well, it's fascinating that how universal this language is that you have codified. and. You know, I mean, we're all mammals, right? So that, that's the, have you worked with non-mammalian species, birds? Yes, I work with birds and there's certain body language things we can do, but then they have so many vocalizations. Oh, sure. So then you, you get like, they have a whole list of things that they go into that we can, I can't follow them there. So I can do some basics like, um, they have one that's look at the sky, look at the sky, all's well put your head down, put your head down. So it's like, look at the sky, look at the sky, all's well, put your head down, put your head down. And then <clears throat> come in and come in and groom me like that. And then there's some of them have like, fluff, 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 fluff. Yeah. They have that fluff, 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 fluff. So if you do this with your fingers, they go, oh, I know what that is. And it depends on the species, like parrots are always like, do it again, you know? So <laughs> and chickens love it, you know, chickens like really respond well. Um, most of the domestic bird, we have peacocks and they're really shy and really hard to, cause they just would rather run away. So doing this with them has been a, a great education for me because it's like, it, it helps them to stay calm when you have to catch them and pick them up, which and I hate. If you ever really wanted to work on your core energy or <laughs> you're, you're driving a horse, you can really see how you're blasting a bird with your core and how you can use your hands and block and, you know, block and welcome and all that. It's quite a dance when you're working with fowl on the ground because it's a true flight animal, obviously horse is a flight animal too, but you push that bird too hard by accident, it will fly away. (laughs) I did that semi recently with my peacock and she flew to the neighbor's house. Oops. And uh, I did get her back. I had to just like circle around, take a break. And I went back and I just went, kind of like where she would have flown because like she went right down their driveway and went to the right. So she was there sitting on a log waiting for me to pick her up. <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because uh, um, if they're sitting on a log, they're vulnerable. That's really, yeah. they like to be up. Yeah, um, yeah. She, she would have probably flown home and been out. They're actually pretty resourceful getting home because they're 
we'll call for each other and all that. So we have been pretty fortunate if there is an accidental escape experience, we get them back. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, again, it's bubble of personal space. It's knowing how to find the edge of the bubble and mm -hmm. use, like bumper cars. The push and pull. You, you the push and pull, like the drive and draw and hold. Uh, those are so key for for birds, especially, but horses are, they're so tuned into that. Mm -hmm. It's crazy how tuned in they are to drive, draw, pull and hold. So they're like, um looking for it and we're just like i don't know what i'm i just want to brush you and so they, they they're like okay my human's cute and i'll keep her but she doesn't know how to talk <laughs> okay so now how about dogs yeah dogs we'll see dogs are a predator so they have a lot of the same basics bubble of personal space eye contact things like that um the the difference is that when a dog comes comes to you because they're they're they've been domestic for so long that you need to be able to put out a reasonable connection for them so that they can offer their submission and how they want to do that is get to your chin which is why a lot of dogs jump and since they can't get to your chin what you can put out is your knuckle and this is fascinating Wendy fascinating because the kudu the zebra everything they recognize this as a substitute greeting. They, they recognize this as a muzzle. And when you put this down for a dog, they will sniff it and then they will put their nose underneath in their forehead and then they're satisfied. They're like, I sniffed, I greeted you. I was able to submit to you. Awesome, everything's great now. And if they don't rub their head under it, then they haven't submitted to you. So I'm always like, okay, well, we have some things to talk about. And I'm going to do that very slowly because you greeted me and told me this was your place. And I, you know, it's a contest just, just by not going under my knuckle. So, so do they, like, just, they just don't do it or they do, do they come over the top? Um, very seldom have I had a dog try to come over the top. They come over the top. I'm like, wow, I might not even come in this house right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because if they want to do that, it's like, yeah, I don't really feel like getting bit today. But most of the time dogs are eager to put their head under and the ones that are question marky, then you have to work the bubble of personal space. So you need to be able to zigzag back and forth, show both sides of your body and not take them on directly, but say, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna claim something for myself. And this is gonna be my thing in this, in this territory. And I'm not gonna even put a, a foot towards your thing right now, but my thing, you can't put a foot towards my thing either. So that's how you start agreeing on who's going to have what space without like raising the fur, you know? Right. And usually what I want to own is the door. It's <laughs> <laughs> so my door. I own it because <laughs> you don't want them chasing, like thinking that you're, when you're leaving, it's a time to chase you away. Right. And I worked with a lot of reactive dogs for a while. I used to, that was what I got called to, in to do. I had this whole business of, working with reactive dogs. So I would, it's called how to live with your dog and I would go into people's homes. And I had also, I had a wolf hybrid for 16 years. So he taught me so much about the sort of innate wolf tactics, but also he was half dog. And so it was like, you know, I, I got sort of the best of both with him, but I had a lot of the stuff there was because I emulated how he held himself, how, and he never started a fight. The whole time I owned him, he won many fights, but he never started one. 
and was always like, I always call him like, he was like the gunslinger, just showing up. He just wants to put his boots up and have some whiskey. He doesn't want to fight. But the new gunslingers are always like, I'll take you on. And he's like, go ahead and try. And they would, dogs would come over the top of him from, I always had him on a leash. He was trained up the wazoo, but people would have their dogs off leash and, you know, these big dogs, two chow chows come after him. Oh, wow. What he would do is grab, he would go underneath, so this, he would go under, this is the leg closest to him, so like Laura's, the dog, Laura's Shakti. He would go across this leg and grab this leg and pull it behind like that. Oh, and flip him. And flip him that fast and then stand over him and go, do you want more? And mostly the dogs are like, I don't, I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> and he's like, right. How fascinating. Yeah, it was very cool. He didn't bother having a fight. He just flipped him. What was, do you know what he was crossed with? Red wolf, Malmute and Husky. Oh, wow. So Malamute and Husky are pretty close to wolves if you look at the breeding. So um, they're, yeah, interesting, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Um, he must have been a great, he was, he was totally, he was a beautiful, beautiful dog, big feet. And he was incredible with children. When I lived in Boston with him, um, my partner worked at a daycare and the dog would be around the daycare all the time because he was, they could, you could have a host of toddlers all grabbing onto his fur and he'd be like walking real slow. So they didn't like, fall I got down. my pack. I got my little, I was going to say, it's like having puppies, right? Yeah, he was, he actually was the, totally the dangerous brave. animal that Sharon had during that time was a cat named Mr. Kitty Man. <laughs> and he was the, the, he the was, problem. he got arrested three times, Mr. Kitty Man. He got arrested? He got arrested <laughs> for attacking people's dogs on leashes. <laughs> How do you arrest a cat? <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to read you your rights now. You have the right to meow silently. <laughs> they, well, they had they caught him with like a net and stuff. I had to get him out of the pound three times. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then and after she went to Vermont, she got a call from the, Boston. from the Boston police. Like, your cat, that's it. You know, you have to put your cat down. I was like, did you notice the 802 number? We're not in Boston. And he was like, oh, well, we just assumed it was your cat. <laughs> Mr. Kitty Man was a bad kitty man. He was, a, he was the cat mafia. <laughs> yes. Uh, we really see him in like, you know, this leather cap and all the jewelry, just walking around, just, gangsta, you know, kitty. totally, he was funny, kicking ass, taking names. Wow. Kitty man. So, I, so and he <laughs> lived with the wolf dog. So, and he dominated that wolf dog. So he, you know, it was, yeah, he was like, I take down wolves on a regular. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's it. cats, as I understand it, cat genetics are not domesticated. They don't have domesticated genes. They're basically no. wild that live with us. And um, yeah, so my cat Buster, he, um, uh, he, who was he talking to? Anyway, he knows that the neighbors have moved out and he's really excited about the new ones because he goes to my other neighbor, he goes in her house, he goes in her car, you know, like he owns the neighborhood in a nice way you know there's another cat they've learned how to get along but you know this is his hood and um he can't wait for the new neighbors to show up but i hope they realize he's going to be in their house in their cars um where was it in england that we saw this study of they put tracking devices on like all these neighborhood cats 
and they were watching them. The little and, cameras on their collars. And so that they were tracking that all these cats in a timely fashion would basically go into each other's houses. And nibble on and everyone's nibble. food. Yeah. And they knew when the next cat was about to show up and they'd take off. And everyone was wondering why all their food was disappearing so quickly. It's because <laughs> all of the cats were making like the rounds. Yeah. Oh, how funny. Yeah, because my neighbor was feeding Buster and because uh, she didn't know he was mine. And then somehow she found out and she thought he was a stray. Well, he eats five meals a day at my house. So I don't know how many meals he was getting over there. Someone said, I'd love to read it. It was actually a documentary. I don't remember the name. Yeah, it was on YouTube. So it was a documentary. Just I would just go on YouTube and type in um, cat tracking documentary. It was hysterical. Wow. But as far as territories and horses go, um, we got some great footage this last four days. Uh, something that I've been talking, did you find it? Well, there's a Ge National Geographic. Yeah, it might, be National, it might be that. Anyway, um, horses, the, the ones who are the leaders will claim the edge of the territory. They'll go and they'll sniff the, the outermost edge of whatever it is. We were in an indoor arena, we turned four horses that lived together loose in there and you and we watch them like there it is you know so there's the mentor horse and he's gonna literally hold his body against the edges and the other horses can move around in the middle and and have discussions about what they're talking about he also what um we called him the munkle <laughs> like a munkle the munkle because <laughs> he's in a moon man moon man. well he's so you have mother horses and they're very, very nurturing, right? And they remain nurturing. But then you have these monkles, they're like uncle horses, but they're like moms in this weird way. And he just, his favorite thing was just any horse that was stressed, he's like, come on, let's groom. Oh, we'll wow. just groom, I'll groom you, I'll groom for hours. It's fine. It's very unusual, but you see that sometimes. But he would hold the edges. He would move horses into positions. He would give them some ideas about how they could manage themselves. He would groom them as needed. And then he would line himself up with the people sitting on the edge of the, um, of the arena for scratches. So he's like, y'all scratch you, you scratch me. We got each other's backs, it's all good. Why are you guys running around and fussing? <laughs> so, but it was wonderful to see how he positioned himself slowly and very deliberately to contain all the energies on what I call the chessboard. And there was two horses. One is new to the herd and he, has, he hadn't really found his place yet. And what was fascinating was the other horse um, in this herd who was, I can't see anything. The other horse in this herd who was um, not that thrilled with this new horse, you know, it was like, you, you're bugging me. You, you're, you're kind of all over the place. Moon would move in and groom that horse who was higher in the pecking order than the new one. He'd groom him, like keep him calm, let the new one move out with this other horse that would kind of move around with him and create harmony. And then those two would face off. And they, a couple of times they faced off and it looked like it was gonna get big and Moon would take a step. And both of them would say, okay, that's it. We can't fight because Moon said no, because he took a step. And the cool thing about watching this whole thing happen, and by the end, they actually figured out how to engage each other. Um, and some of that, I did one intervention at one point where I just went in and I gave out a couple cones and I put the cones there and I made the cones safety objects by putting 
my foot on the cone and relaxing. So I put the, my foot on the cone and I just go, kind ah, of shake it all off, relax, go to the next cone, do the same thing. And by doing that, I said, this is, these are both safe places to be. So the new horse who didn't really know, he didn't really fit in yet, he could go to a cone, which he did. And then the other horse who didn't like him very much ended up going to the cones to use it as a line of negotiation. And during all the next half hour or so of interactions, those two horses didn't pass the cones. Wow. So one stayed on one side of the cones and one stayed on the other side of the cones. And finally, they kind of met in the middle and were able to just keep their heads low and go side to side, eyeball each other side to side and agree on how they could possibly share space together. And when they did it and it was, it was good, it felt like they'd rounded a corner, uh, Moon and the other elder who was in there took a step towards them and breathed out. So like they closed the gap. They were like, okay, now we can be a her. Now we can be together. It was a beautiful thing. And hot off the presses, Nancy must have felt us talking about this situation. Dandy and Siri, who are the two loose cannons of this herd, are grooming each other right now. Right now. Oh, wow. How yeah. cool is that? And that this is, is really cool. since November, they've been not able to get along. Yeah. So this was um, like two or three days all together. Of- yeah, we did like the first day we did four horses together and Siri was not able to settle at all. He just kept running and we were, you know, trying to help him. The horses were trying to help him, but we we're like, okay, let's just take actually, uh, was Raj and Dandy, let's take them out and we'll work with Moon and Siri. And so Moon was mentoring him and we did that for a bit. And then we ended up working with Siri by himself. So we kind of like intertwine some personal eyes. And when I say working with, yeah. what I mean is I go in. Hold yeah, I go in from a distance. I'm like, hold on, this is a safe wall. I'm basically imitating Moon. As There's no hands-on Siri. Can you let need... me share screen? Yeah, I already have. Oh, okay. I don't need to touch the horse to communicate with the horse. And this is one of the coolest freaking things, Wendy, is not... It's not about um, this is work moon. where you're you're driving them around or you're moving them. You know they don't need to move at all. They can stand perfectly still. And there's a series of messages you can give from a distance that talk about I'm gonna let me help you find your inner zero. Let me help you find a safe place to be. Um, you know, let's agree on how we're gonna share space with each other. <clears throat> I won't pop your bubble if you won't pop mine. So basically, the rules of respect and the rules of safety and moon's watching the whole time. So if Siri got, if he got a little bit too intense towards me, he'd stop, he was getting just scratched by Laura. Like he's like, hey, Laura, while they're doing this, you want to just scratch me? And the coolest thing <laughs> is like three, no, two years ago, cause we had a COVID year off. Um, we basically picked up where we left off because he just would line up to the side rail and be like, hey, scratch my butt. And I was like, cool. And so as soon as he came in, so he saw her, saw me, he lined right up. Hey, scratch my butt. And I'm like, of course, Moon, I'm here <laughs> for you. I've got your back. And so really. <laughs> well, at the end of the clinic, someone was asking about would Surefoot have been able, could we have used them like we used the cones? And I thought this is a really interesting question. Yeah. Because in that case, you know, when they put their just their nose on it and they get like a release from it. So I wonder if 
using it that were just having them available so they could put a foot on it at choice if they wanted to, or even put their nose on it, knowing this this item makes me feel safe. Yeah, we I wonder how effective so often where the horses will just walk over and and um, stand next to the pads or uh, put their nose on the pads. The, the only difficulty with them stepping on it is that if they tap it, it moves, right? But right. I mean, there's a lot of horses that are out there putting themselves on surefoot pads. We have a lot of reports on that. That's really cool. Yeah. It'd be neat to see from a drone perspective where the pads are and what the shape of the space is that the horse is in because the shape, what the space is that they're in, like if you're looking down, let's say it's a turnout paddock and you have a water trough here and you have hay here and you have maybe a shady shelter thing there. Uh, those are all key elements on the chessboard that the horse is on. And each element is a resource and then if you have other horses in there too, it's really easy then to see the bubbles of personal space as the horses move around and which personality wants to hang out in which area, but for different values, different reasons. So from that perspective, then seeing, well, if I put the surefoot pads here, there, it's like an open territory, any horse could come and touch them. But if I put him here, it's really close to this particular horse's bubble. So, <clears throat> You know, if, like if a nervous horse is standing there a lot and you put the pads towards him, you're giving him like extra safe places to be. Well, I, you make me think of um, Catherine Wyckoff at Loudon Therapeutic does what's called spa days. And she lets the horses into an area and there's surefoot pads and there's different stations. And mm -hmm. some of the horses just automatically go over to the surefoot pads. Others go to other stations. But so we have done something uh, kind of like that where they have that freedom of choice and they have that, that amount of space. But I'm sure that I know someone with a drone. I'm sure we could work this out. Um, this would be really cool because the other horses, let's say if you have a moon and the moon claims a wall, well, no other horses can go inside moon's bubble without his permission. So right. if the pads are near moon, they can't get there. Whereas if the pads are in like a central location, and the human has stepped on them first and said, these are mine, these, this is my location. This is what we did with the, with the cones. Then the horses were like, oh, the human said that's a safe place to be. So any of us can go there. And then you'll still have horses try to go and take it over. But the, the, if there's a mentor in the group, they'll be like, nope, nope, she said that was for everyone. <laughs> Well, that's really fascinating because when I have a more nervous horse, I purposefully stand on the pads. Mm. I'll touch it with, to my nose. I yes. won't let them touch it. And then I will stand on it. Yep. To just yeah. tell them it's okay. It, yeah. Not only is it okay, but this is safe. Cause you know, right. like us, if we're going to go and do something that we're uncertain of, like the first time someone goes for a massage, they get a little worried about it. Like I've never had this before. Mm. So instead of releasing and like, ah, oh, this is great massage. They're kind of like, what? I have to take my clothes off? What? You know, like it's, it's insecure, right? Yeah. So when you're exposed to a horse to something that's going to make them vulnerable and they're already insecure, you want to have as many safety protocols set up for them so they can actually make the most use of it. I mean, the Sherpa pads kind of switches them. I think it helps drop them into parasympathetic pretty quickly. But it's it's even more beneficial if emotionally they're already ready. And I think what you've seen over the years is that 
the more they use the pads, the more they see the pads, the more they go, oh, the pads are out and they start right. dropping before they even get to the pads. Right. Like if we were ever to do an experiment, <coughs> be so careful not to have the pads within visual range as a control because the horses are already, in fact, we have someone in Colorado who was looking at HVR and she had a mini, I think it was a mini, but she was measuring heart rate. And after that mini had been on the pads a few times, if I said to her, did he see them? Because she says his heart rate's already down. She said, yeah. So I know that that was already dropping that horse's heart rate just from the visual. It's basically, you know, it's a cue and a routine you're expecting to feel good. So you're already getting the reward of wanting to, you know, of the feel good with the visual cue um, for sure. And then knowing that horses create those safety objects for themselves anyway. So you'll see the, the elder or mentor go to something, put their nose on it, <clears throat> put their nose on it and then drop into relaxation. And that hits the whole herd like a ripple effect. Yeah. So then the other horses, when the mentor walks away, you'll see other horses come like line up with their nose on it and go, oh, this, and it's a, it's such a um, powerful message that horses, that leader horses give to the follower horses about your safe here. And it makes perfect sense if you're a prey animal, this place is clear, this, this house is planned. <laughs> You know, it's, it's interesting because I've only had like three or four opportunities to work with herds with Surefoot, but there was one instance when I was in Oklahoma and there was a tornado. So we had to bring this group that was outside in because it was safer, right? And it was mostly Rocky Mountain horses and one Paso and they were loose and we were putting pads on them, but everybody was still a little agitated. And then I said, well, has, has the Paso stood on a pad? It was a mayor. And they said, no. So we put a halter on her and I put her on a pad. And as I put the foot down and stood up, the whole herd turned off. They, it was like a light switch. Mm. Um, you know, because when she went down, everybody was like, okay, we're good. We can do this. That's right. Yeah, because she was a key figure in the herd and they were waiting for her message. Yep. That things were okay. So like when I go into a, a troubled herd, um, I usually try to make contact with the mentor first, you know, with the horse I perceive. And the mentor is usually low and slow. So they, they keep their body language quiet. They're not, they don't go high. They don't do a big X. They don't have a lot of energy. They're, they're very predictable. And they come in and they, um, they usually want to greet first. And, but when, before I even get there, I'll touch three things. So the, the game plan is when you go inside the horse's face, before you walk to the horse, touch three items first. It doesn't matter, it could be the fence, it could be the water trough, whatever's there, whatever's available, but you touch three things. And each time you touch, you don't just touch it. I am touching a thing, like you touch it and you're like, oh, this is a nice thing. A nice. This is, this is a good thing. And then you move on, you do the next thing. <clears throat> and by doing that, you're saying, there's no worries here. I've checked for bees, bears, and boogeymen. That seems to be all clear. So then what you're approaching the horse with is the attitude of, I'm a protector. Mm. And then you go get, and then horses are looking at you going, you're a protector, great. That's who I want to hang out with. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. But I think it would be really neat to do a heart rate thing with some of the stuff that we're experiencing as yeah. well. Yeah, that. yeah. The te the technology is improving. There's uh, the this piece of equipment 
required internet connection, which, you know, you know, in so many barns, that's not possible. So, you know, that we just need the technology to get to the point where you can use it, where there, you know, is no internet connection, where it doesn't need it. Um, yeah. where store the data, you can download it later because, you know, that's uh, in Europe, it's much more available, right? Um, but here we, it's oftentimes the barns are where there's no internet. It's one of the big, um, you know, challenges yeah. that we face. We don't have good internet at our house in Vermont. Vermont's internet service can be hit or miss for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's really exciting because um, we will be showing some of the moon stuff on our club meeting coming up uh, probably within the next two weeks. So if you don't know about the Horse Beak Club, it's a great way to spend some time with Sharon and I in all of our Horse Beak community to be able to watch a lot of her dynamic conversations. It's been really neat. And we do have some folks who have their brave and they're doing some writing technique stuff and some uh, groundwork and all that. So it's a really great way to see how Horse Beak can be applied to the stuff you're doing with your horse every day. Yeah. And so go to Sharon Wilsey website, SharonWilsey.com to check it out. Yeah, it's awesome. And, you know, it, what I'm really enjoying is the, as you know, I've talked to a lot of people now over the past year and a half, but even the guests that I don't know that I, you know, just um, find because I think it's interesting and they come on, it's so fascinating to see how everybody's basically coming from the same philosophy um, and the same understanding of communication and respect and honoring that, um, you know, is, I think we're seeing a big shift now, which is yeah. really exciting um, toward a more um, compassionate way to interact with our animals. I think so. I mean, more and more it's out there and there's still though this, this sort of hang up, hangover of um, confusion, I think about what does it take to keep horses fit? You know, cause they, they need to move in order to stay fit and healthy and, and a, a concept of like horses in work. And I think there's like sort of an old school model where horses did work and that's what they did. They were like our trucks and tractors and all that kind of stuff. And then, and, but that meant actually going out into the world and doing the job. <laughs> like work wasn't like in the arena, work was like, I have to go somewhere and do something. Oh, the Amish horses so, work, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so here's a picture. Whoops. This is, I don't know if you guys can see. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> this is a picture that uh, one of my students sent in. It's, she said, this is called poop o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it on poop o'clock? Her horses make this circle of poop. And when they really need some downtime, they stand in the center of it every day. Wow. So that's an example of creating your own safety object. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, so we've had some um, some neat drone pictures from out in uh, Oregon. A friend of mine has a huge ranch out there, and um, these huge, huge areas that the horses are living in. When you look at it from a drone perspective, and you're looking at the the patterns they've made, the geometric patterns that they've made with the poop to to define areas. And including areas that are spooky, like they'll actually make like a line across and they're like, yeah, no horses, horses don't hang out in that back corner. And when you look from the drone, there's like poop going right across, like don't cross this line. So they use it for different reasons then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Uh, so my guess, my best guess, which you know, I can't prove, but just knowing 
how tuned in they are from their sense of smell. My guess is that they drop a different pheromone charge depending on what they're feeling in that area and that different scent. Because you know when they make it sweet, probably. I mean that that could hold a lot of weight because horses have scent. uh, They can smell as well as a dog, right? Right. Yeah. Whereas you know we're we're nasally dumb. (laughs) (laughs) We're nose blind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we are, you know, I mean, it's really fascinating just how much more they can smell and that sight is not their primary, where of course sight is our primary. Um, so that's really interesting. I wonder, it would take some, it would take some a- analysis to figure out what those pheromones are, but maybe someday, you know, it would be really interesting if you could train dogs to pick it up and then they could, you could use the dogs to pick up the different scents at the, right? Why not? That would probably be easier than we think because they, they train dogs to pick up tiny little infinitesimal aromas and a pile of horse poop has a lot plenty in it. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I guess isolating. Pick up a, as an anxiety, you know, something that right. has anxiety. Right. But like, I can smell it. I mean, you, I'm sure yeah. you can smell when a horse has a stressed poop. I, it totally smells different. And when they have a relaxed poop, it has a totally different aroma to it. Like now that we've been tuned into it, Cool. Yeah. Horses, you know, bring us it's over. More like, like smell this. Floral <laughs> versus, you know, horse poop actually doesn't smell that bad versus like a rancid stench poo is definitely, we actually unfortunately worked with this horse who was brought into an arena that he's never been into. And he was having projectile poo and it reeked. It was yeah. so bad. Sure. And so it's it's interesting, something to look at to see, like if you do see a horse doing projectile poo, typically that is because they're stressed out. And then, you know, go and take a whiff. <laughs> Walk the air and see Just, what you, you smell. Yeah. <laughs> Taste what you smell. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> but it's good to, you know, it's good science. It's a good science. So someone experiment. was saying to us, oh, I always put poo on the trailer, but she's like, you know, what's interesting is, <clears throat> I always look for the nice tidy pile of poo because I figured I felt like they were more relaxed when they made that tidy pile than the ones that are like drop, 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 drop. And she's like, now that I think about it, that pile of poo probably smelled better. And when she would put it on the trailer, she's like, horses would always just load up. It was never a problem. Oh, interesting. You know, it's, it's really fascinating to see these little connections that we're starting to make. It really, it's great. And the work you're doing is totally amazing. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it really is making a difference in the world, which is fantastic. I hope so. Yeah. You know what? We got a chart recently. I was thinking of you because it's a whole chart by Dr. Stephen Forges of the, oh yeah, the yeah. Whole, the whole polyvagal flow yeah. and, and under, um, underactive, um, the, the, so the, the dorsal vagal line and the ventral vagal line and underactive dorsal is like floppy dorsal that happens like right before death like your spine gives out. You have it there? I No, it's actually, it's in our uh, luggage at yeah, home. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry, but it's really cool. It's really, really, really cool. And um, maybe think of you because we talked about slushy. Yes. Yeah. And so the ventral vagal line deals with um, um, bonding, right? And the, the dorsal vagal line deals with more fear and reactivity. And so, I mean, we'll collect, the, like we'll, we'll cover this, but we're really, it's the response to tuck your tail. And this is like, hi, I give you a hug. So it's, yeah. when horses do it, 
they show their chest and their throat and their chin, and they kind of go on top of another horse. Oh yeah, sure. When they're rubbing the ventral vagal line and they'll rub ventral vagal and dorsal vagal on another horse. And then they, that's a horse you hug, right? And that's when they're really, really going into relaxation. But I thought of the short foot pads because of one talk we had um, where you were talking about underreactive horses getting on them versus overreactive horses getting on. Yep. Do you, did you remember what was the significant, what was the well, difference? Well, we see horses that are low tone, we see them come up. We see horses that are high tone come down. So, you know, basically it's bringing them all into a more uh, uh, level state, right? So those low tone horses and those shutdown horses, it's fascinating to watch them come out of that shell to come up and the others come down. So it really is kind of this uh, leveling effect. In fact, I just worked with a couple of horses that um, you would put them in the slushy category. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really, really interesting because you have to watch them really closely. Their uh, signals are much like this one horse as I approached with just one foot back. And I was like, okay, fine. And I walk away, right? And I come back and just one foot back. It's like, you're not ready. That's fine. I'm listening. And it's, and again, it's listening to the really subtle things that horses do, not right. the big things they do. If they have to do a big thing, you have blown them out. It's the right. little, right. just that little step back. And so when I walked away and then I stood on the pad and did that sort of thing that when we got there, again, the really subtle signs of some eye blinks, not a lot of anything else, you know, kind of like just kind of, I'm, in, I'm waiting to see what's going to happen here. But then after just a few minutes, and we only did a few minutes, like total, like five minutes, yawning, 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 yawning. And it was when she was not on the pad, not. So it's, you know, that that's one of the things that's so hard for people to realize is that the time on the pad, is better to be short and then let the horse stand off the pad for a moment and see what happens, right? And in yeah. her case, again, very subtle, you know, cause she definitely slushy would comply, but you know, wasn't really um, engaged, but when offered in a really quiet way, definitely let us know. Well, what I thought about was, is there a measurable is there an instrument or, or a chemical measurable um, test that we could do for vagal tone? So um, at the International Society for Equitation Science ISES meeting in Guelph in 2019, they said that cortisol, HVR, and heart rate are not good indicators of stress. Okay, yeah, because for the cortisol, they would use a lick um, and then the HVR, they were measuring HVR and heart rate. But what they did say was a really good measure was eye blinks. Oh. Right. And so what are you doing with horse speak? You're doing eye, eye blinking. blinking. You know, and what does a horse do when they're stressed? They don't eye blink. They don't, they don't blink. Right. And then when you get the, what you see with Surefoot is you see these longer eye blinks, very notable longer eye blinks, and then half closed to closed eyes. So, you know, I've got to um, find some more information about eye blinks, but it seems that they are now saying that is a much better indicator of stress than HVR, cortisol. And, and I've tried to mess with HVR, not cortisol, but HVR and heart rate. Um, you know, the technology, it's um, fussy. You've, you know, if you don't get it on right, just putting the strap on could be stressful, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, 
so it's not an easy thing to do, um, but eye blinks are really easy. Well, our, blinking is thinking. That's, <laughs> that's our jam. So if we see a horse like Siri, actually, that poor guy, when we first met, he was not blinking. Wow. And so we're like, oh, you could blink. And we're trying to. And that's a cool thing. You can look at them and start blinking. Yeah. Right. And they, and whether it's a cat or a dog or a horse yes, or yeah. a person. Yeah. Yeah. Blink. Dogs who get really stressed are, this back to the dog thing, but a lot of times they're using eyes instead of nose to, to figure out what's going on. And you have to interrupt that. It's like blinking at them and they'll blink a few times and they'll go, and then they'll go. And when they use their nose, it's much better information. So this, this fits, right? And it's a simple, you know, I love the simplicity of eye blinks. You can video yeah. and then you can count the number of eye blinks or the depth of eye blinks. I mean, it's a, actually a really um, significant and yet simple way to get a gauge. Huh. Absolutely. This is really good. It's good intel. Thank We're you. We're going to be counting eye blinks. We'll be videoing eye blinks because sometimes we get this. Yeah, the rapid, rapid eye blink. I think there would be something different, right? That the rapid yes. eye And it seems to be like they're in a very, very deep process about something. Oh. Right. Because we've asked so them to like, like. a person in REM, which stage of sleep is it? REM, uh, rapid yeah, eye REM. Yes, REM. Yeah. But they're still, they're standing and they're awake, but the eyes start, they go from frozen, like, you know, stuck in sympathetic, so like doing this and also the body starts twitching, you know, so to me, the research that I've done on, um, you know, release the kind of nervous system reset that's going on, people shake or shudder or blink a lot when it's like a PTSD yeah. moment. It, it looks like that. I can't prove it, but it looks like that. And what happens afterwards is that the horses, like they need they go, they take a nap, they come back and they're like 10 years younger and they're they're like really engaged. You're like, hi. Yeah, they I kind of. I snapped out of it. Yeah, they go through this like giant reset and their face is like fuller and their, their what we call a jump up button, basically where their guts are is fuller and their hip might have had like a point to it and it gets rounder. Like they're just getting, it seems like they're getting much better blood flow and they're breathing deeper. Um, and they're definitely, they're way more engaged. You're like, yeah, let's connect and let's hang out. So fascinating. You know, I think that reset idea in horses, it's, it's, it can be so fast. And um, I mean, that's what I've seen. It's what I call it. I, you know, like rebooting a computer and it's like, boink, and they're back in a completely different way. It's really, really fascinating. So someone just commented, uh, one thing I've noticed is that when a human is trying to calm the horse by communicating with the horse by blinking, breathing and nodding, et cetera, the person starts to calm down too. Then the horse gets calmer because it's human is getting calmer. So, you know, it's, we are mammals. We are running the same yeah. systems. And it's, um, yeah. you know, this, I was talking to you guys about my flight home from Colorado, which is the only flight I've taken this year. And the guy behind me had a full-blown panic attack and they had to get him off the plane. Fortunately, we just pulled out from the gate. But you know, what fascinated me more than anything was the, um, the EMT who got on the plane to get this guy off. And he went over to the guy, he said, you can hijack your uh, response with breathing and breathe in for 10, pause out for 10, pause. And he just talked to the guy about how he could hijack his own nervous system to, to calm himself down instead of letting it run. I think the more we learn about polyvagal and we learn about trauma 
reactions and, and stress release and that sort of thing, we're going to realize that we have control over this and that there are some key, key things, um, which whether it's horse speak or trauma release or Feldenkrais, I remember one of my Feldenkrais trainers was, uh, she had a car accident, was in severe pain and she would use a checklist. Can I move my eyes? That was a simple question to get her out of the pain cycle. Just, can I move my eyes? Um, and so we're, I think we're gonna learn more and more about how our nervous system uh, uh, deals with stress and how we can intentionally, if you will, hijack it so that we let go of it, whether that's a horse or a human or a dog, um, because we all run on the same system. Yeah, even just putting your ring finger and your middle finger together is a hijack and you rest yeah, it in your rest. lap. I don't know exactly what, like people have been like, oh, Jinshin Jitsu or there's acupuncture or there's things. Yeah. I don't know exactly why this works, but people do it and you watch them in the audience and all of a sudden. Wow. I don't know why, I love a hack though. I love a good hack. Yeah, yeah. well, it's an O posture, right? An o posture. <laughs> I don't want to think that hard. Right. I'll just be like, okay. And yeah, and one of the hardest things for us to remember to do, especially in a stressful situation is to breathe. Yeah. I mean, I know from my experiences, I'm so grateful I'm not doing this anymore, but being in the hospitality industry, yeah. where it's a completely uncertain environment, you get totally busy and then you're running around and you're, to you're not breathing. Right. There's so many moments where I'm like, okay, breathe. Or if I, when I was bartending, when I'm pouring a beer, you just like, you can't move. And pouring a beer is like, if you're really busy, you're like, will you hurry up? <laughs> but it's a great time to breathe. <clears throat> you know, but it's, yeah, it's everyone who would come up to get their drinks or what have you. I'm like, remember to breathe, just breathe. You'll be okay. We'll get through this. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, it's a blast to talk to you. And if people want to find out more, they go to SharonWilsey.com. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And um, uh, I'm sure we'll be back. We'll do this again because we're going to just keep going, you know. Yeah. Do <laughs> some drone photography with the pads in different places. That'd I think be it'll be fun. Well, I've got to hook up with the guy that does the videography. He has a drone and I have, I, I, so I've got a few things I've got to get together. It might not happen right away, but we'll see what we can do. All right, perfect. Thank you everybody for right. sharing time with us. Yep, thanks Take everybody care. for tuning in and we'll see you next week right here right. on the Shorefoot Equine YouTube channel. Woohoo! Woo <laughs> have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Bye.